believers that that's not the way Jesus wants his followers to be. And then we read the next story. Jesus sitting outside the temple, out by the temple treasury, where people would come and make their offerings. Some people, the rich ones, they put in large sums. And then this widow, this widow comes and she just puts in two small coins. That, that coin was a lipta. And lipta was the smallest coin in circulation, much like our own penny. Jesus calls over the disciples and points out that this poor widow is put in more than everybody else because all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, is put in everything that she has, everything that she has, literally her whole life. That Greek word is bios. We get the word biology. This poor widow has put in all her life into the temple treasury. And now let us pause for a moment of silence. November 11th was called Armistice Day to mark the end of World War I. You'll see information about World War I here in your little insert about the casualty list among the central powers and the allied powers in the United States and in our, our own state of Kentucky. It was called the war to end all wars, as H.G. Wells said. But since that war to end all war wars, approximately 150 million people have died in war since then, including 55 million in World War II. In 1954, this holiday, the Armistice Day, was renamed Veterans Day to commemorate veterans of all wars. President Eisenhower was in office in 1954 and acknowledged that there had been two world wars, the World War II and the Korean War, since that first great war. Eisenhower also outlined three purposes for Veterans Day. The first was to remember the sacrifices of those who fought in our nation's wars. The second was to celebrate the contributions of all veterans of military service. And the third purpose was to rededicate ourselves to the task of promoting an enduring peace. Let us now bow in prayer to continue our prayer for peace. Let us pray. Lord God, creator of all, we pray for peace. We pray for the leaders of all nations that they will see that peace is always better than war. We pray that these leaders always consider the potential of life that would be lost in the decisions that they make. And we pray too for ourselves in the pursuit of peace. Strengthen our hearts and our hands and our minds to work together for peace, to see you and one another, and to seek your kingdom above all else, that your will may be done, may be seen to be done, and your kingdom will come on earth, even as it is in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, we pray. Amen.
We've looked at two stories. The story of the the status-seeking religious leaders. This poor widow who comes and, and gives her whole life into the temple treasury. And what might we say about that story? It could make a good stewardship sermon. It's often been interpreted as a call for all of us who are blessed abundantly in our own lives that we should give in trust just like this widow does who gives her very last penny trusting that God would still take care of her. But here we are and we're abundantly wealthy and we want to hold on to everything we have. We can marvel at the piety of this woman, especially in comparison to the arrogance of the scribes. There's a lot to admire about this poor widow who gives her very last cent. But I think Jesus is wanting to do more than that. Yes, he wants to lift up the trust that this woman shows. But I think he wants to do more. And I think to kind of get a sense of what Jesus is doing here, we need to look at the broader context of what's going on before and then we'll look at what after this text. When we get to our reading today, we're early on in Holy Week. Jesus has come into Jerusalem riding on that donkey to the praises of the people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is the coming of King David. People are laying down their coats, laying down their palms. We might call that intentional theater. That Jesus is doing this deliberately, this mocking of the Romans who would come in in their grand procession of military might. Jesus, we might say, is poking in the eye of those Roman material, I mean, military leadership. As soon as he gets into town, he gets off that donkey, he goes into the temple, he sees the the, the merchants who are working there uh, trading out animals for sacrifice, also the money changers. And you know what he does. He goes and he turns over those tables. And he says, what does he say? Sorry, those bells that we rang earlier. Ah, here we go. He says this. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it into a den of robbers. Yet another theatrical, very visible condemnation of the powers that be. First the Romans and now the religious leadership. And then right after that, you see one after another confrontations that Jesus has with the religious leadership. They're asking him questions, trying to trip him up, trying to discredit him. And it's not working at all. And at the end of the reading right before today, it says that the crowd was listening to Jesus with delight. They were loving it that Jesus was sticking it to these religious leaders. And with that in mind, let's go back to the story we read today. Jesus warns his followers about those scribes, their desire for power and status. And in that condemnation, Jesus says that they devour widows' houses 
And as a cloak, hiding their real motive, they say these long prayers. And I poked around about this whole notion of devouring widows' houses. And it seems that, as we know, women in that culture, well, well they were little more than property. They were considered incapable of taking care of themselves. And when their husbands died, they were still considered incapable of caring for their husband's property. And so very often, religious scribes would be assigned to take care of the, of the estate and it's selling it off and making sure the widow would be provided for. Because these scribes, these religious scholars, knew the, what Scripture would want them to do. But instead, it turned into an opportunity for them to abuse that power. They would take much of the assets that should have gone to the caring of that widow. In other words, these scribes would devour the widow's houses. And then this second story, after Jesus has called out the scribes for for their arrogance, but also their taking advantage of the widows. And let's remember that this takes place right after Jesus has turned over the tables in the temple, after Jesus has had these ongoing uh, confrontations with the religious leadership. He sits outside the treasury. And I think he does point out the admiration of, of trust that this woman has in giving all that she has. But I think he's also pointing at something different. I think he notices something here. That these temple religious leadership, these scribes, they've gotten rich off the backs of this people like this poor widow, of all of those who are vulnerable. I think what Jesus is doing is he's condemning an unjust system that exploits the poor. A system that's been corrupted by the very leaders who are supposed to be taking care of these folks. And then just to poke at the story that comes right after it, just a couple sentences there. It says that when they leave the temple, it says this, it says, One of the disciples of Jesus says to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. These disciples who have spent most of their, their lives out in the countryside, they've come into Jerusalem, and the temple would have been a beautiful place. It was less than a hundred years since Herod the Great had restored the temple into a beautiful place, and there was also other buildings around there that the, the Romans had constructed. So, of course, yes, it was a very beautiful edifice all around, and they were just pointing that out. And then Jesus says... You see these great buildings here? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. And sure enough, that happened just a few decades after Jesus' life and ministry. The Romans came in and they destroyed the temple because of a Jewish revolt that had been taking place. But I think there's more to that story than just Jesus predicting that. I think it's a continuation of what Jesus has been saying ever since he came into Jerusalem. That the religious leaders in its system has forgotten what God wants of his people. 
what God has always demanded of His people, especially its leaders. Throughout the Old Testament, we can read of God's special concern for those who are most vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the strangers in the land. And taking care of these vulnerable wasn't just something in addition to faith, it was the very essence of faith. Now to remind us of what a priority that was, I'd just like to read a few texts from the Old Testament that reminds us that the Torah, the Old Testament, is emphatic about the notion of God's people caring for those who are poor. Rebecca, did you have that? She's going to run all of the text. And I'm just going to read a few of them. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. Exodus 22, 22. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. That's in Deuteronomy. There should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. Also from Deuteronomy. Do not deprave the alien or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge from Deuteronomy. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God and his holy dwelling. That's from Psalms. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked in the Psalms. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact from Proverbs. Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow in Isaiah. You deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Man, I got more I could read, but I'm already running behind. Can we just say that God demands that God's people care for the most vulnerable? And yet we read today of religious leaders abusing the role they've been given. What can we make of this? One thing is I think that Jesus notices. Jesus says, notices that widow who comes into the temple treasury that day. Probably nobody else did because she only gave just a little bit. But Jesus noticed her and Jesus lifted her up as important. This one that everybody else would have just ignored because she really had nothing going for. Jesus lifts her up, lifts up her example, but also Jesus notices how this woman is contributing to a system that has been exploiting her, using her. He condemns that system. And because Jesus notices We've got to notice too. The Old Testament speaks of the people of Israel are to care for the widows and the orphans and the strangers, the aliens in the land. In other words, to care for all of those who can't take care of themselves. Jesus fulfills what it means to live in the way of God, loving God and loving all others. But that religious institution called by God into existence had failed. They did just the opposite. 
Jesus noticed. And folks, we have to notice too. Who are the vulnerable among us? Who are the ones that our society either ignores or takes advantage of? Where are the systems that take advantage of and exploit these who are vulnerable? What might we Christians as the church do to notice and to lift up those who are vulnerable? In our faith formation meeting last week, one of our group members had a very insightful and good comment. She said that about the widows and the plight of the widows whose houses were devoured. She said that that's just the way of the world. And it is. That's the way of the world. If you don't have enough, you're out. If you can't pay up, tough. She's right. But we as followers of Jesus... We can't follow the way of the world. We're called to a different way with kingdom rules. And it's a way that stands with the vulnerable and speaks out against those who would abuse those who are vulnerable. I heard a phrase this week a couple times, compassion fatigue. It speaks of just being overwhelmed by the the horrors that go on around us, the, the fires in California, the, the shootings in California this week, on and on and on it goes. And sometimes we do have to take a break and just give thanks for the joys and blessings and just, just chill. But God will not let us quit. I was here Thursday night for a couple hours we were giving away beds. The family resource uh, director at a couple of the schools here had passed that news around to the other family resources in Franklin County. We gave over 100 beds in two hours. And I don't have the exact numbers yet, but I'll get them and share them with you. And I was helping carry mattresses from downstairs to cars and just overheard some of the stories. And some of them, they just told me. Grandparents let, raising tons of grandkids, drugs, Abuse, nowhere to sleep, nobody, you had instances of moms just dropping off their kids with the dad and said, here, you raise them. And that was just a couple of the stories. It's easy to get compassion fatigue, but as Christians, we can't let that dominate our lives. We can't not care about the most vulnerable. How are we going to do that? Find a way. Find a way. Notice. Because God notices. And thanks be to God for God's overwhelming grace and love for all people. Amen.